0: Chapter Number Five of the Octave of Claudius. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org Recording by LJV. The Octave of Claudius by Barry Pain Chapter 5. Three days after the curious arrival of Claudius Sandell at the house of Dr. Gabriel Lamb, the two men stood together in the garden one morning after breakfast. Claudius was smoking a delicious cigar, the first that he had smoked for over a year. He had drunk good coffee. His memory contrasted with the cup of thick that he had been compelled to take a few days before at an early morning stall. He remembered the sharp eyes of the man who had handed it him, and the furtive Jew boy that had rubbed shoulders with him, and the bad green smell of everything. And now he was looking out on a well-kept garden, noting the fruit trees as they spread themselves to the sun along the wall. He heard the sleepy hum of the mowing machine, where at a little distance a gardener was busy on the lawn. He had been refreshed by a long sleep in a cold bath. He was wearing good clothes. He had fed well and been well treated. It was hard for him to realize that all this was the result of charity, for the kindness that had been shown him had come in the guise of hospitality. Dr. Lamb had acted up to his principle that it was impossible for a gentleman to take advantage of the necessities of another gentleman in order to humiliate him. Come down to the end of the garden, said the doctor cheerily. You haven't half seen the place. The doctor was wearing a short Holling jacket and no hat. In one hand, he swung a small empty canvas bag. As they went down the path, Claudius happened to make some remarks, with the almost boyish naivete. On the per- of the house and garden he had he said never seen a place which was so complete in small details trifles now my dear Sandell," said the doctor putting one hand on his arm i am not going to contradict you but i am going to correct an impression that i believe he must have formed of me I own that I have taken great care lest there should be anything wrong even in the minutest domestic matters, but you must not think that because I am particular about trifles, I admire them or take an interest in them. I assure you that I hate them. I hate them so much that I cannot bear to have them in my mind. If the details of my house and domestic life were wrong, they would always be obtruding themselves upon my attention. I should think about them, and I should detest that. It is the same with money. If a man really hates money, he takes good care that he has enough of it for all his needs, in order that he may not think about it. You found me, said Claudius, without a penny in my pocket, and fainting from exhaustion. But all the same, I assure you that I do not love money. Do not, said the doctor, pleadingly, be so ultra sensitive, my dear fellow. I like fine feelings, but to be ultra sensitive is so so altogether damnable. I assure you that your case was not in my mind when I spoke, and my remark would not apply to you in any case because you are too young. You will make money yet, because you hate it. There is plenty of time before you. You're much too good to me, doctor, Claudia said rather seriously. I am inclined to agree with you. One of the greatest curses of poverty and privation is that they make a man who is not used to them sensitive and bad-tempered. I never used to be bad-tempered. There is good evidence of that. Claudius looked as if he did not quite understand, and the doctor went on. I mean, of course, in your physiognomy, you are, on the whole, very good-tempered. You can lose your temper badly for all that, in that you are not exceptional at all. But it is queer that you have never told a lie, and couldn't tell one if you wanted to. Why, said Clavius, I've told any amount of the usual. Quite so, the ordinary social fib that has no other motive but to spare someone's feelings. We may leave that out. That is not dishonorable. You have never told the dishonorable lie, the lie that would get you out of some scrape or be of some advantage to you. But of course, Claudius answered, one doesn't do that. No, I've told dozens of dishonorable lies myself. But there, my system of ethics is different and simpler. There is one great purpose and all else is subordinate to it. But men, in other respects, like yourself, do, as a matter of fact, tell mean lies, or would, if the occasion were urgent enough. Now no occasion, however urgent, would make you break your word. Well, one never knows. Claudius found this open praise, as it seemed, of himself very embarrassing, and he hastened to change the subject. If it comes to that, Doctor, I've noticed one exceptional point in you. I had flattered myself, the doctor said, that I was composed chiefly of exceptional points. Which do you mean? You talk a great deal of your work and profess to be devoted to your work and call it the enthusiasm of your life, and yet you really do work very hard. I've only been here a few days, but I've noticed that. I happened to wake at three o'clock this morning and looked out there was still a light in your laboratory. Now at Cambridge it was different. The men who talked much about their work as a rule did least. And to keep an average of your number of hours work per diem was simply a preliminary step to being spun in your tripos. Well the case is so different. The ordinary man at Cambridge works. I suppose for the purpose of his triple and with the involved purposes of pleasing his people and providing himself with a profession. Oh yes, those are very good things, of course, but they are not great. If you try to simulate an enthusiasm for work with such purposes, you are likely to use all the energy for the simulation and have none left for the work. Yes, I did work late last night. The doctor's eyes grew brighter and his manner more excited. He gesticulated a little with the hand that held the canvas bag. Last night, Sandell, I stood before the gate, the lock gate that stands between the living and the mystery of life. I tampered with the lock, but I could not force it. I could not get in. But Sandell, I assure you, I am speaking seriously. Last night, I caught a glimpse between the bars it makes me breathless can you wonder that i am enthusiastic and lord i do keep talking about myself i wish i did not i shall become a bore will you said claudius if i may speak as frankly of you to you as you have done of me to me i will say that i have never met anyone who interested me so much and i do not suppose that i shall ever meet anyone who will be half so kind to me. Oh, kindness is not in the question at all. For all that I give you, I intend to receive as much again. Practically, you are in a hotel and have the means to pay your bill, only it does not quite suit either of us to treat each other just like that. No, not a word. I won't be thanked. I assure you that I shall come out of this under a great obligation to you. Now look here, we won't talk of this. I want to show you my rabbits. They reached the end of the garden. Here there was a row of twelve small rabbit hutches, standing about two feet from the ground. The hutches were kept very clean and dry, and it was evident that good care was taken of their occupants. I didn't know you were a fancier, said Claudius. Oh, I'm not. These are all of the common kind. They hardly remain here long enough for me to make pets of them, and in a pet, one would prefer a little more intelligence. Still, these hutches are well planned, and I think and I like to have them properly fed and cared for until they are wanted. Research, you know, would be impossible without experiment. One is as humane, of course, as it is possible to be under the circumstances. By the way, I want one of these this morning for my work." He opened one of the hutches, and a black doe that had been nibbling green stuff at the entrance scurried away to the far end of the cage. Pressed close to the boards, she watched the two men with soft, furtive, frightened eyes. "'Pretty creature, isn't it?' said the doctor. "'Now then, my common rabbit, you'll want it. Why didn't you stand erect and have articulate speech, and wear white ties in the evening?' Then you would have had a god and lost him, and worried yourself about it at nights, when you had no one to talk to, and never got any further, and also you would have bragged about it. People always do. You weren't consulted, neither was I. Now you are going to die in a dream, but first you've got to tell me what you know, but don't know that you know. He stretched his great hand into the hutch and grasped the doe by the neck. Come now, he said pleasantly as she kicked and struggled. Don't you be frightened, my little dear. Then he dropped her into the canvas bag. The two men walked on to the garden entrance of the laboratory. Vivisection had been the subject of debates at which Claudius had been present. They had not been, as a rule, very well informed debates. It had been a case of brutality against sentimentality. And had not interested him very much. One of the most potent arguments for vivisection that he had yet come across was that Dr. Gabriel Lamb practiced it. He mentioned this to the doctor. Dr. Lamb put down his canvas bag in the garden path and fumbled for the key of the laboratory door. He was an astonishing grotesque figure. The short hauling jacket did not seem to go well with the bald head with its fringes of auburn hair. Curious traces of scientist, sensualist and poet seemed to flit across his face, hopelessly inconsistent and passing in a moment between a box edging of either side of the path. The black doe rabbit jumped and struggled in the bag that imprisoned it. vivisection I am not of course opposed to it at the same time, I realize its limitations. it has taught us what we know about physiology and will teach us more. But it will never teach us everything as practiced at present, and nothing less than everything is of much good to myself. I have got to pass through that gate of which I spoke to you. See here, you know, of course, that a pig is internally much the same as a man. But the pig's nervous constitution, a very important factor, mark you, is as different from a man once more he broke off abruptly. You are provoking me to become a scientific bore, he went on, and all bores are hateful, and the scientific bore is the worst of the lot. Well, doctor, said Claudius, I can only say again that I am not bored. Now, by the way, I could not perhaps do a good hard day's work, but I am so far recovered that a few hours secretarial work would not hurt me. May I not undertake your correspondence for you, or copy your scientific memorandum? You have already decided that I am to be trusted, and I should not abuse your confidence, and I need not tell you that I should be careful. I should give you the best of such ability as I have. That is quite so, said the doctor. If I were the usual philanthropist, I should probably fake up some secretarial work for you to do. But I am not, and the work for which I want your assistance is far more serious and important. I will tell you about it when the time comes. In the meantime, if you would order the Victoria and take my wife for a drive, I know she would be delighted. No, you'd rather drive yourself, I think. Have the dog cart and the bay mare. Oh, yes, and you'd better ask for her, or they will give you peach blossom who's a good horse, but not so amusing. Claudius drove the bay mare, and she did not give him much leisure for conversation. She was a beauty, but she needed driving. Mrs. Lamb watched him earnestly all the way, and only spoke to praise him. The doctor never drove the mare himself. It is curious that even the cleverest man will fail to notice when things are significant if they concern himself. Claudius had that morning omitted to know several things. End of chapter 5